We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. I'm going to say just in general, I'll, I'll preface this statement, this is the kind of stuff that makes me a very unpopular person. <laughs> I don't really like pizza that much. I think that there's this idea that all pizza is good pizza because it's pizza, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think most pizza is terrible pizza. Wow. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Rick Easton is co-owner of Bread and Salt Bakery in Jersey City, New Jersey. He's also the co-author of a fascinating new cookbook, Bread and How to Eat It, which he wrote with his partner, the great journalist Melissa McCart. On this episode, we talk about Rick's love of baking, sandwiches, and not following convention in the creation of all of them. We also find out how working in Italy truly informed his unique style that has made Bread and Salt one of the region's most beloved spots. I hope you enjoy learning more about Rick Easton. Rick Easton, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Great to be here. It's so cool to see you. We, we caught up like a few weeks ago. We were sharing some pizzas down the street. It was nice to see that you weren't in your bakery. It was at a restaurant down the street from your bakery. It's nice to be in a place that isn't my bakery. <laughs> so it feel- happens rarely, but Ex- when it does, it's, it's enjoyable. Because I wanted to get into the hours. You're putting in like 100-hour weeks, it seems, just from talking to you a little bit. Yeah, uh, for a place that's uh, only open three days a week, <laughs> the hours are really, really long. I mean, I generally, uh, on the days we're open, uh, I go to work at 3.30 in the morning, uh, you know, uh, and basically it's like running until we open at 10 a.m. At that point, it's like got to bake off all the bread, have yeah. to shape uh, focaccia dough, any other breads that are, you know, had an overnight bulk fermentation will shape and I, I shape. I'm the only one there until like 8 a.m. Uh, bake off a bunch of the pastries. I have to move a lot of the dough around the building just to kind of put them in warmer places. Because we're from, talking about multi-day fermentation here. Uh, in On some products, yeah. yeah. So others, one day. One day. You know, but it's it's still like, you know, we have a walk-in. We also have cool areas in the basement. There's a lot of different products that all get moved. <laughs> it all gets moved around. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that all has to get baked off out of the oven. Sometimes a little bit of cooking and prep happens too. And then the staff starts coming in at eight where we start getting set up and ready. And by that point, uh, you know, I'm also during that period mixing dough for the next day, getting that started. Uh, and then, you know, have to bake off all the rolls for sandwiches, yeah. pizza Bianca, all that kind of stuff. Get that, you know, uh, focaccia going uh, usually right before service at 10 a.m. And then we open the doors. We open at 10 o'clock. Uh, as soon as all the other products are out of the oven, make pizza for the entire day, finish at 4 o'clock at that point start shaping all the dough and have everything ready for the next and day. And do it again. Yeah. Now, I want to back up because you're te- you're telling the story of a bakery. And, like, a lot of people come in here with bakeries, and bakeries are cool. But this bakery, Bread and Salt, is a bakery of much acclaim. It's a bakery full of ideas. It's a bakery that is that a book is based on, Bread and How to Eat It, which we'll talk about. 
And clearly, Rick, if anyone's been following food in the past for the past decade on the East Coast, your name pops up when we talk about bread in America. And I wanted to invite you in, and I'm glad you just went right into it to talk about your process because, like, there's a lot going on in your bakery because it's not just bread. So let's hear a little bit about what your bakery is all about right now. I I mean, I was inspired by bakeries in southern Italy, Uh, you know, mostly Rome, but of course I've got to spend time in Naples and different parts of Sicily, uh, trips through Calabria, uh, recently in Molise a year or so ago. And the way a bakery functions there is often very, very different than what you would have in the United States. Like I feel like the United States, it's a little more common to have kind of very French models of a bakery. Of course. Uh, Now, ours doesn't necessarily function like a classic Italian bakery either because we do more. I mean, a lot of times like pastry would be pretty limited. Uh, You know, like there's a panificio, they make bread. That's the thing. They might have a few different pastries. We we do both. Uh, we also offer sandwiches. We offer pizza. But, of course, the pizza, that that is kind of the thing. that The pizza has always been the trick, right? It's mm-hmm. like that's what gets people interested. Yeah, it's like the clickbait. It's like the clickbait headline, sure. right? And everybody thinks of it as a pizza place, but it's it's actually a bakery. I was respecting it. I didn't lead with pizza. I called yeah, it a bakery. I, I, I appreciate that. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was – it's look, it's my own fault. I created it. But it, it's – you know, pizza is a way to kind of get people in in a lot of yeah. ways. And I think the media has often, when 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 Bread and Salt has been written about, is very much written about as a pizza place. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, we do do a lot of other things. I mean, of course, everything changed after COVID and through COVID in that whole period. Uh, but, you know, pizza, the pizza that we do as well, it's also, it's a bakery style of pizza. It's not... It's like it's not like Neapolitan style. Yeah, it's not all the minute, right? You pick it up and. Well, I wish. Uh, No, we do it. We that is the kind of adaptation. I mean, the style of pizza we do, you know, if it were in Rome, you would have it all on the counter. You would serve it room temperature. That would be the thing. But the American customer wants hot pizza. Yeah. You know, and uh, so we have kind of adapted that style. Like they haven't gotten any smaller. They haven't changed. Mm -hmm. But we do it to order. Okay. So when you order a pizza, I make the pizza. Big question here, and this is something we've talked about on the show in the past. Italy is a pizza country. It's a pasta country. But everyone is like the bread in Italy is shit. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, because like France is always under the context of France and French baking. Bread baking in particular is where most of our letters, our books are based upon. And and bakeries in America, as you referenced, are based on the French model. But you're like, no, 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 you're shaking your head. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are bakeries in Italy that are doing remarkable work. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of that also, of course, you know, there's there, there's a function of economics. There's a function of culture. These things all intertwine. I mean, I think in a lot of tourist areas, of course, it's hard to find quality stuff. Definitely. Uh, you know, great I, point, great point. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to seek it out, uh, you know. 
I have never been to northern Italy. I've never been north of Rome, so I can't Are speak you to that. Are you serious? Yeah, dead serious. No, you've never been to Emilia Romagna. No, I wow. mean I, I've been to Molise, but right. I've never been to Emilia. Wow. But uh, cool. Hey, so at any rate, but I think that that is a thing. I mean, I think that you know, I think in northern Italy there are a lot of bakers doing really kind of innovative and revolutionary kind of things with bread, and then I think in Rome and further south there are as well. I think. There are somewhat few. I think bread fills a slightly different role. I mean, this is a, a daily product. Yep. You know, I think the further south you get, I think it becomes really interesting because, you know, people aren't going to spend more than two euros a kilo. Now, in Milan, they'll spend nine. It's mm -hmm. not different than here, fundamentally, yep. in terms of, oh, you're going to buy fancy bread, you spend more money. It's going to be in, like, New York or San Francisco where you get those $9 baguettes. Sure. Right, right. Sure. Get you it. know, uh, so there, but it's still, like, the quality that a lot of places put out is really surprising. I mean, it's it's really quite good. Now, I want to ask you, your partner, Melissa McCart, who I adore and is just an incredible journalist, she's your partner on the book and life. And I know you and Melissa, she's the editor of Eater New York and a, a fine restaurant critic and journalist, and I'll have her on later in the summer. We already have a date planned. Now tell me, when you and Melissa go to a bakery, because I know you go to them, because I know you're a fan of a restaurant, what do you, how do you judge a bakery? It's in your intro that, of your book. You write about this. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I don't get to go as often yeah. as I would like. She probably goes more <laughs> than true. I do these days. Uh, but for me, I mean, the first thing is always the way it smells, you know, uh, there is a, a type of smell. I mean, and it's like, do you smell that, that, that? smell of wheat? Do you smell that cooked grain? Or, you know, I mean, there's kind of yeast smells and different types of yeast smells. I think there's, you know, I, I think that there is a, it would be hard to describe, but I, I think that there is a certain smell of quality, at least to my nose, that it's like, you can go into a cheap, you know, kind of nasty industrial bakery, it has a specific smell. And I think if you go into mm -hmm. a place where people are actually using quality flowers, putting some care into the process, I think it smells a little different. I think the look of the breads is, is another thing, you know? I mean, what are the colors? Are you looking for um, darker colors, meaning, or, or is there a way to see, I, like, the... I think it depends on the bread. I mean, sure. you know, like, what, what you're trying, what, what you know, like, every bread maybe should be a little bit different, but, I, you know, I, I like to see that. My personal taste mm -hmm. is I like things a little bit more on the red-brown chestnut to black end of the spectrum. Well, you think it's, like, the, the product is dope because... You know, if it's a little darker, maybe for the naked eye, it's not going to sell off a shelf. But if it's like a known bakery and the bread is great, can go a little darker, go a little more aggressive. That's the way I read it. I mean, I think it's one of the interesting things about this book, if I can backtrack a, a little bit. I mean, like the whole process of this thing is we this book started in 2015. You know, when I opened a bakery in Pittsburgh, we we had an agent, we had a publisher. We went through the whole thing. There was somebody they wanted the book. We were working with that publisher. They fired three different editors we were working with. and Because of you? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'd love to think it was I would be amazing me, but, if you were yeah. like, well, we went through three editors because we were too demanding. Yeah, we were so difficult. <laughs> no, uh, I think it was internal. It's the, the breaks. It's yeah, how it goes. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, but then the book got dropped by the publisher. Uh, I had closed my bakery in Pittsburgh at that point, moved to New York. Basically, you know, nobody wanted to touch it at that point. And then, you know, 
it got picked up by Knopf. Yeah, it's on hold, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, and it was like, well, let's revisit this. Let's make some changes. Let's do this, but let's put this out into the world. Now, of course, since we started that in 2015, and now here we are in 2023, this book's about to come out. A lot of things changed, you know? Uh, but one of those things is I do feel like there is a lot more literacy with bread than maybe there was in 2015. Such a good point. I mean, we had the sour bro movement during the pandemic, of course. Totally. Everyone bought, we had like, people were buying bread machines. People were buying, yeast was off the shelves. So clearly bread baking with the pandemic became a meme almost. It was huge. But also my observation is that bread, um, we got out of that funk of like gluten-free, carb-free lifestyles, which was you're shaking your head, and I'm glad you're— Yeah. We kind of, like, rejected that finally in 2023. Thank God. Yeah, Those are, like, tough times, like, gluten-free— but maybe not gluten-free. I'm being unfair to that, but, like, the carb-free, like, bread is bad is what I'm saying mostly. Sure. I mean, I think, like, we're we're over it by now. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, these fashions kind of come and go. You know, everybody's got some latest new health obsession. Yeah. But I, I think that's pretty much gone. It's great to hear it. Now, bread and how to eat it, it's a huge topic, but it's also quite simple in theory. You know, it's how to eat bread, how to bake bread. This is your title of your book. How can you summarize the like ethic and thesis of this work, which includes many recipes, chapters about pizza, about cooking with bread, about using bread as an ingredient? But what do you have to say about that? Well, so I think that the using bread as an ingredient is central to kind of what I wanted to put across in, in the book. I, I think that this idea, I mean, like the title is is obviously it's, it's, it's you know, there's some humor in it. It's great. It, yeah. It's a great title. Let's yeah. just applause. It, yeah, please. well, thank you. But, we're, you know, I mean, it's meant lightly, you know. Uh, sure, everybody knows how to eat bread. But my question in some regards is do they? Right. The the thing is, like I said, I think there's been a tremendous increase in bread literacy among uh, the American public in the last seven or eight years or so. There's been an explosion of bakeries, not just the kind of home baking that happened in in the pandemic, but like really high quality bakeries across the United States. Uh, it, it's been really something to see. But I felt like why I started this book and why the idea you know, came to me is that it's, you know, what was true in Pittsburgh in 2015, I'm finding is still true in New Jersey in 2023, where because I'm, for a number of reasons, stubbornness among (laughs) them, uh, you know, we make loaves of bread that are a kilo, they're over two pounds. Uh, I don't generally make smaller breads, certain types of bread, maybe I will. Uh, occasionally. But what happens is, you know, we still have a lot of customers who say, oh, well, I can't, I can't eat a loaf of bread that big. I, it's going to go bad by the end of the day. And Fair question. It's a fair question. I mean, to you, it's like crazy and asinine, but to me and many listeners, it's fair. Sure. Look, I, I'm not saying it isn't a fair I know you're question. Not. But, but I, I think, no, 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 but I think it's okay. But I think that the thing about it to me is I think that you get to know a bakery. You get to know a style of bread. You have this relationship. This is a place you return to. Like the bread we make, and one of the reasons that I like to keep them a kilo and up 
in terms of size. Sometimes we do two, three kilo. Big boys. Wow. Yeah. Those are cool. But the idea is that it doesn't go bad. It actually stays nice inside for a very long period of time. Our bread, if it's kept and stored properly, it, it lasts, you know, five, six days. And yep. even then, it's like it never goes bad. It just changes. Yeah. Let's talk about your lineup. Like, we're, let's get into specifics. Like, what is, like, on your menu right now for breads? I just want to get into it. Well, that's another little trick in it, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 kind of a, a funny thing. Because we don't, we generally just have a, because I got tired of answering questions about, like, well, what is that? What yeah. kind of bread is that? What kind of bread is that? Uh, and so we just have a sign-up that says regular bread, and you can buy it either by the whole or the half. Uh, the breads that we <laughs> generally offer in terms of this, we do do all uh, naturally leavened breads. Breads with that's kind of a weird term, but you know, breads with a sourdough culture. Uh, yeah. We have a range of different flours we work with depending on what day it is. Uh, we do. Sometimes mess around with some local, uh, locally grown, like New York State grown and milled uh, wheat flowers, a little spelt, a little rye here Mm. and there. Uh, I've been playing around a lot with some 100% Durham wheat breads, some semolina breads that uh, I've really been enjoying. Big in Italy, of course. Of course. You know, big, big, like that's what a lot of their breads are. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the South. In the South, exactly. Um, I mean, this is like the Peter Reinhardt school, right? These naturally leavened breads. Well, I mean, he certainly, I mean, like Peter Reinhardt's books are, are I mean, they're, they're, they're incredibly valuable, right? Like, in a, you know, him as a teacher, I think yeah. he was very instrumental in kind of a, an American baking revolution. I think before a lot of other people who are kind of, you know, given that title today of like, oh, this is the guy or whatever. But yeah. I think a guy like Peter Reinhardt, yeah. and he's been doing it a long time. Yeah, and his books, we publish his books. He's been on the podcast, really just a wonderful resource for all levels. Last question about bread. I want to move on to other topics. When you're looking at a crumb, which is when the, the cross-section of bread and the crumb is kind of like the gooey inside that has a lot of activity going on. What makes a great crumb for you, Rick? I, I that it's funny it's changed the longer I do this my my answer to that question I mean I think it, it it's funny right because it all depends on the flower I think that we're in this interesting place now because of you know social media because of Instagram because of this kind of explosion in baking it's like everybody's making these wildly open crumb breads <laughs> that are completely dependent on very, very high protein bread flours, like white flours. It's like the best, the easiest way that you can get this result. But I don't think that those kind of breads necessarily always eat the best. Yeah, taste good. You yeah. know, right. Yeah. They and look dope on Instagram. Sure, they look Especially real Especially when cool. you're doing like that top filter, you know, the one, the Lux filter, the very nice, the top one. Yeah. You know, your crumb is looking nice. Or or they like, you know, everybody likes to increase the contrast, oh, really yeah. get those holes, there you know, like prevalent. like a crumb filter, like just built in. I, I'm sure somebody's actually <laughs> developed some kind of plug-in for it or something. <laughs> but I, I, you know, to me, I tend to prefer... You know, I mean, like, sure, that's cool, whatever. And in some cases, depending on the flowers used, it's, like, more or less impressive that you achieve that. But I I think that I like to see an aerated crumb, but not necessarily always so wild. You know, like, I like to know that it's going to eat light in the mouth. Like, it's going to be soft. It's going to be, you know, not too, too dense and heavy. Yeah, but there is actual structure to it. And it isn't too wild. I love that word when you say some of these crumbs— like, can you make a sandwich with that bread? Right. Or, I mean, what is the what is the function of the bread? Like, how function? does it work on your table? Like, 
that is, I think that needs to be a question when you're deciding to buy a loaf of bread. You're like, well, what is this? Does this bread suit the style of food that I eat? Pizza questions. We're going there. This is the pizza section. All right. I'm not going to avoid it. Go ahead. All right, Rick. We got, I got some questions, but like just straight up first, your f- favorite style of pizza, regional, and your least favorite style, regional. We're talking about American or Italian? Uh, I mean, I think my favorite style of pizza is 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 pizza in Rome. I mean, the 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 range, and that that would be a range. Like, I mean, yeah. the kind of more old school forno style, very thin, very crispy, oily, eaten at room temperature. I love it, love it dearly. Uh, it's very much what inspires what we do. Uh, and then, of course, all the way up to the kind of more modern styles with Gabriele Bonci and some of the more kind of, you know, outlandish, creative combinations of toppings and what. Oh, man. Gabriele Bonci from Netflix, from Pizarium, like super interesting guy. You worked under him. You I, I stodged there briefly. I was at Panificio Bonci for, a, for, for just under a week and uh, worked with, I mean, I, I got to spend a little time with him, got to spend some time with his guys, uh, his guy Andre, who now has his own pizzeria. He left recently uh but always leave they always move on they always leave can't keep them forever no but uh yeah i mean bonchi is uh to me bonchi it's 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 a rare thing i think in many of our lives to encounter somebody who is an actual genius you know i think we meet a lot of smart people throughout the course of a day even and we're like wow that guy he's sharp you know that woman they like she knows what she's doing but to somebody who's like a genius and just clearly thinks in ways differently than everybody else, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a rare thing. And so to be able to have that opportunity was certainly, you know, it had an impact on, on my life and the direction of what I did. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of a stage with Bonchi. I just want to know, like, did you just pop him, pop him an email and, and just show up? And like, what, did they, what are you working on? No, 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 no. That all happened through the uh, efforts and good graces of a mutual friend, Katie Parla. Yep. Uh, Guest of the show, friend of the show. Yeah, and just a great person. Um, has incredible cookbooks and... Uh, you know, but I've, I've known Katie for a while and she set that up for me. I mean, she knew I was interested and she, of course, knew Bonchi from living in Rome and her food tours and everything that she was doing there and her own work and her mm-hmm. books. Uh, and so she set it up through a guy who was working there at the time, Federico, who spoke some English. Bonchi does not. Mm-hmm. Um and we were able to make it happen. And so it's just, you know, it's like I just went to work there in the morning, 4.35 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean. They, what are you wearing? What are you showing up in? What's well, your, that, that was funny because I was showing up in the clothes I always wear. I always wear <laughs> jeans and like a button-down shirt and, yeah. you know, in various states of disrepair probably. Yeah. But yeah, that, you look like you're definitely like the sixth member of Pavement. You've got that <laughs> vibe going. It's it's definitely a good look. It's Yeah, but they they that was unacceptable to them. They, they had yeah. to get me a. Uh, chef's jacket to wear while I was there and everything else. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, but they take it very seriously. It's a different thing. Making making bread, making pizza there. It's, yeah. it's a it's a different kind of profession. It's seen in a slightly different light. So, you know, I, I, I donned the uh, Bonchi chef's jacket and uh, just kind of worked alongside those guys, did what I could, helped shaping some dough could here you and keep there. Up? And, oh, yeah, you're out of your mind. No, those guys are, they're, they're monsters, yeah. you know. Um, but they... Uh, you know, I mean, mostly observation, but yeah. threw in hands when I could and learned everything I could, asked as many questions That's as I beautiful. could. That's beautiful. Yeah. Back to my original question, you went for the one you like, but let's talk about a pizza style you're not, you know, a really big fan of. 
It could be in Italy. It could be anywhere. I'm going to say just in general, I'll, I'll preface the statement. This is the kind of stuff that makes me a very unpopular person. I don't really like pizza that much. I think that there's this idea that all pizza is good pizza because it's pizza, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think most pizza is terrible pizza. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, good I, pod, this is good for a podcast. Oh, just saying. good. good yeah. But, you know, I think that pizza is, again, you're dealing with culture, you're dealing with economics. I think that, you know, somebody opens a pizzeria, it's a money making venture. You got to be able to make money or else the thing doesn't work. And that has created this strange kind of race to the bottom, I think, in some regards, where it's like the cheapest ingredients, the fastest process, all the stuff, because it's like to do it a lot of other ways requires a certain dedication or 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 mm-hmm. craziness that not everybody has or is willing to do or says like, you know, I, you know, I think that that's one of the problems. I think you look at a place like New York City, for example, I think, you know, this is a place that's known for pizza. You know, how much of that pizza is actually worth a conversation? Mm. I mean, there's pizza everywhere, but how many people within that field have something to say or have something to contribute? I mean, it is a commodity product in many parts of our country. We've got a really robust fast food pizza industry. What sure. Do you, think, do you have a Domino's story? Do you have a Pizza Hut story? Do you have a Hungry Howie's? No, but look, I grew, up, I grew up in Pittsburgh. It's like, you know, and I'll offend all of my uh, <laughs> my Pittsburghers, but the pizza in Pittsburgh is terrible. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it always had been. It's like, you know, like these places everybody argues over which is better, Minio's or Aiello's. It's like, wow. you know, come on, neither one. You know? What about L&B? What about Titano's? What about those deep Brooklyn spots that, I mean... Uh, okay, so you know, L and B is not for me. Okay, uh, fair. I, I know a lot of people That's who my number swear one. by it, That's and they my love it. I know far. it. I know it. Yeah. People love it. For me, there's got this kind of weird raw dough situation going on that just yep. it's it's tough. Completely heard. And very sweet sauce. Very, that very gets much a lot so. for me. Totono's. I I feel like I could get a glimpse on how Totono's. Could be very good. I think when <laughs> I went the night, I, I, yeah. you know, the, the time I went, it was at close. They were in a hurry to get everybody out. It happens. You know, what I mean, about, look, we all have bad days. Yeah, and, like, it is it is a great, great topic about timing of pizzerias. I mean, you go early and it can be bad, too, if, the, like, the morning shift has had a bad morning. And it's like, what about, okay, this is Defara. Straight talk, Defara. Never went. Okay. That you got you got you got a pass on that one. Yeah, she asked Katie about that one. She wrote a story. Yeah. Oh, about I that. I loved her story about that one. But I, I edited think... that story as a Food Republic. I was her editor, and I believe she got a death threat from it. And I'm sorry that happened, Katie. But yeah, I'm sure she did. I don't know if it's still like live. That site might be dead. But it was. But, yeah, I mean, but look, I thought that that was actually a great story, and I think it that was. she had a valid point. And yeah, I the think... point was like, don't use shitty olive oil or 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 shitty anything. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like if you want to make a great. Pizza, you got to use good products. I think, and that's the other funny thing that we're in this moment now where I think everybody wants to say that. Every, like, you know, everybody's taking this approach or you see more and more of, well, we're using the best ingredients. Like, we, we're, it's a classic New York style pizza, but we're elevating this and that and the other thing. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, you're not. It, it's like, it's marginally better than the crap these industrial places are putting out. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, does it matter? I mean, I think people like fetishize all this stuff in a 
you know, really bizarre way. Yeah. I think the fights, the death threats, like all these things over pizza, it's maybe a bit much. I agree. And for context for Katie's story, it was published probably in 2014. And and so I haven't reassessed Defaro. So I, I I don't know what quality of products they're using now. But at the time, she was disappointed in the quality of olive oil that was served with great ceremony in those old tin cans and all that junk. Um, well, and look, here's the point about Defaro. Like, having never been there, I'm not going to say anything about yeah. it. And of course, the old man is passed. Right? Yeah, yeah. But the real point to me that I think is like, you know, worthy of respect, right, is here is a guy who dedicated his entire life to making pizza. He was in that pizzeria every day until he died. You know, that, you know, regardless of his personal taste, regardless of the product being put out, regardless of whether you like it, you don't like it, that deserves some respect. I love that you say that. And thank you for bringing it back to that side of the coin, because I think like yourself, there's real passion there. And I think back to your other point about why we fetishize certain things. It's like data points. As writers, we need data points. We need to, like, have X, Y, Z types of yeast or types of fermentation or, or time. And it gets to be, like, baseball cards. Like, you're talking about, like, dumb data points when you're not actually getting the full story, which is, like, the pizza's good or not good. Sure. And it just gets a little in I, the I weeds. Think, I think it's like that with, with anything. I mean, I think that it's like, look, I mean, people need content, right? You got stuff you got to write about. I think that yep. pizza— and all of this stuff is very, very easy, right? Because it always pushes these buttons for people that go to this nostalgic place. And they remember, like, you know, I mean, it's like nobody really evolves too far past the point when they're six years old and the pleasure they had getting a pizza, going out yep. with their parents or whatever else. Like, it's a special treat. It's a reward. But that changes how the whole culture works then, you yeah. know? Have you ever had Detroit-style pizza? Have you ever had ranch dressing on pizza? No, I'm not going to do that. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I don't. So I don't like ranch dressing pizza or no pizza. I, <laughs> Fair. I, I feel like uh, I generally I have an irrational paranoid fear of mayonnaise. It's oh. this thing like I'm really freaked out by it. Oh, I mean, ranch is like running shotgun with mayonnaise. Exactly. So, yeah. It's like same family. I'm not comfortable. You know, I mean, look, I think if people like it, it's fine. I don't think Detroit style pizza. I, I, I don't actually believe it's a real thing. I, I think that it was like a thing that was created. I think that kind of blue steel pan, deep, you know, thick style of pizza was like there was probably a practitioner or two of this in Detroit, you know, and that it was maybe had some popularity. But I think it didn't get legs as a style that other people were doing until people took this kind of very obscure style, like maybe practiced by a few people and then spread it around the country via social media. Everybody's like looking, you know, they want that Frico crust and all that stuff. And they're all showing these similar kind of pictures in the cheese bowl and the entire thing. Is this true or not true? You're, this, you're, look, you're from Michigan. How many people hurts. were making that style of pizza? This hurts. I can't believe you actually are saying that Detroit style pizza may not even exist. No. Rick, you're right. I, I agree with you fully. There are a few practitioners in in Detroit that do it really well. And I think that there certainly has been a moment where it's been expanded into even the fast food pizza world. And oftentimes that version of fast food, of, of Detroit pizza is not good. So I agree with you fully. It is a real thing. You have to go to Buddy's. Yeah. I think that's good. I think Jets in, in some ways is industrial pizza, but is also quite good. And there's a few others that I'm forgetting off the dome. But fetishizing a style of pizza in the way that we fetishize Detroit pizza is, I, I think I hear that's what you're saying, is maybe not your favorite thing. No, I mean, but it's also, it's like if you look at anything, like look at the history of pizza. I mean, there's a lot of people who are far more 
well-versed in this topic that have been on this show, I'm certain. But I would say that, you know, pizza as a thing, as far as I understand it, didn't actually really exist in any more widespread way until the 1940s and 50s, even as like late 40s, early 50s. I mean, sure. There's the whole argument about the early New York pizzas. Lombardi's, of course, the cool guys down on Mott Street. You can go there. They have it from like, you know. But or if you look at the history of pizza in New Haven, for example, I mean, the part of that that I like, right, is that that's a place that all of those pizzerias started as bakeries. And all of those people who came over from Campania were bakers there and they moved to New Haven and opened bakeries and the town supported a great number of bakeries because of the high population of Italian immigrants from this area. And of course, to differentiate themselves or to have more product to sell. I mean, it's a natural thing in a bakery. Your oven, especially with these large masonry ovens, it's like at certain points, they're way too hot to bake anything else. Start slinging pizzas. Start putting dough in there, putting toppings. I want to segue to the sauce and to tomatoes. I think I'd like to hear your take on the best tomatoes to buy for making pizza at home. Can you can we support like American domestic canned tomatoes from Modesto or do you have to get the ones from Italy? Look, I think you have to get the ones you like. Uh, my personal taste, I don't like American tomatoes. You sh- certainly write about that in the book, which yeah. I love about your book. I I you know, like I think that like for example, like you know, with all respect, I think the Bianco di Napoli is a great, it's a really good tomato. It's a really enjoyable mm-hmm. tomato. And I think that's kind of become the go-to. Uh, high, yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, the high watermark for American I mean, Stanislav's, tomatoes. Stanislav's though. Sure. You say sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, why well, have a funny story about that? You know, uh, let's but go there. At, at any rate, I, uh, you know, let's I, go to the story. What's the story? Well, no, I'll, I'll get there. What I was going to say is I think that this thing, but I think the American palate, those tomatoes are produced. They're grown. They're done in a way because sweetness is the value. I mean, I think when you talk to people about what they like in tomatoes, they're like, oh, my God, it's so sweet. It's like candy, you know. Whereas what I like in Italian tomatoes personally is bitterness, so like a trace bitterness, a minerality, acidity, uh, like meaty quality. Like there's a there's a complexity mm. and a depth. Umami even. We Absolutely. Even go yeah. We could use that word. Yeah. My Stanislaus story, as an aside, is one of my favorite pizzas uh, that I've had in recent years is uh, – this guy out in Brooklyn, he's got a thing, Chrissy's Pizza. Have you heard of Chrissy's Pizza? Only have heard, never have tasted. So he's out there in Bushwick. He's making like 20 pizzas every Monday in his home apartment. And uh, they're really phenomenal. Like, I mean, the guy's a phenomenal pizza maker. He's 100% heart. He's giving it everything yeah. he has. He's putting everything into it. But there's definitely Stanislaus tomatoes on that pie. There's these, like all these ingredients that are not— Polio, maybe. Uh, I don't actually know the cheese. The cheese maybe grande. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. But it's, you know, it's all of these things that I'm like, you know, in all of my own snobbery and everything else, I'm like, nah, we don't use that stuff. I use this stuff, and I use all this very expensive, beautiful product. But this guy is using that stuff. He's aspiring to get this classic New York taste. Mm-hmm. 
And he kills it. It's better than any New York. Is he doing out of like a home oven? Out of a home oven. Oh man, he's a monster. I love that. It reminds me of Jason LaFerrara, Pizzeria LaFerrara. Very much. Those guys are friends. Those those guys need to get on. They haven't done a pop up in a while. They're uh, they're overdue. They're overdue. Now I think your point is so strong about Stanislav's being sweet, and the American palate is sweeter. We know that. We know that we crave sweetness, especially when you put like Pizza Hut as your baseline. Of course. You know, it's just like dough and sweetness. It's like it's almost like having a dessert for pizza. Look, sugar in the sauce is a thing that is a widely practiced thing with pizza. It's just not my thing. Exactly. Diplomatic. No, in your pizza is dope, just to reiterate. Okay, I want to hear a little bit about working with Melissa McCart, your partner. What's it like writing a book with your life partner? It's it's like probably not easy. Well, I mean, you should ask her that question when you have her on the podcast because apparently I can be a really difficult and sufferable prick. Oh. but, uh, you know, I, I would say I personally might use the words of uh, impassioned, uh, yeah. opinionated, lots of strong ideas. Makes that, It can make me difficult. But, you know, in, in some regards, you know, it's uh, it can be a lot, right? Because it's like, you know, you navigate your way through a relationship and you, you have a life together. And then you suddenly bring in stressful work stuff that you share together. Whereas if you can keep your work stress separate, it's a little easier. Uh, but for the most part, there's also things that are really absolutely phenomenal about it. I think a large portion of this book was actually written by uh, me being able to just talk and then her recording everything mm-hmm. and making it uh, into complete sentences mm-hmm. and lucid and coherent. Yeah. You know, which was nice because I don't think anybody else would actually be able to do that quite the same way. You were telling me that during the recipe development, you would sometimes just write out recipes on large pieces of paper, just sure. like whatever you had in handy. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm at work and uh, she's like, hey, we need these recipes by the end of the day or whatever. I want to get this section done. And so I grab a Sharpie and a piece of uh, sandwich paper or whatever else and <laughs> scratch something out yep. and get it to her. And, you know, but like, you know, I think a lot of other writers, like, like I said, who who didn't, uh, you know, have other reasons to tolerate me would be like, oh, you're, no, no, no. You have to sit down and type this up. I mean, listen, I've written three books with two chefs and I've had scraps of paper in my hand in all occasions. Well, well, good, good. It's the the process when you're, these are chefs who are actually working and active chefs. It's not, like, managing the time is impossible. Books are so time-consuming and Unbelievably time-consuming. Yeah. And the, 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 my my thing that I think was so crazy about writing this one, I mean, everybody has their stories or whatever, but in a, you know, in, in a context of my business in a bakery, our deadlines somehow were Christmas and Easter, <laughs> which I'm like, this is not possible. This yeah. is this is insane. This is my busiest time busiest of the year. Busiest time of year for anyone working in food at those two holidays. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, you and Melissa, like as I said, Melissa is the editor of Eater New York. Where have you been going out with together or where have you been going out solo that excites you in Jersey City where you're located or in, in New York? I'd just love to ask folks in the area where you're going out. Well, I think that's uh, that's fair. I mean, it's like everybody has uh, their own stuff. Yeah. We we it's funny because we don't go out in Jersey City very often. I mean, when we do, we stop down at Ratza where we saw you. Ratza, yeah, definitely got to call out that place. Place is great. Yeah, great. I mean, you know, Dan is a, a great guy, and yep. and uh, they do they do a good job. So that's kind of something we'll we'll eat in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, there's some other places around that I'll occasionally get some takeout from. I mean, you know, but. When we go out, we generally go to the city. Uh, I often 
you know, we don't go out very often. I mean, when I do, it's either I go visit friends. So I go to the long-awaited new Superiority Burger. <laughs> We've been there a few times An already. An absolute bit in the show is the status of Superiority Burger. We will get into that. So let's leave that for last. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But so, you know, but or I'll go visit my friend uh, Emilio at Emilio's Balado. I try to do that every couple of weeks. I love that guy. He's, He's sitting in the front, hanging out, drinking Coke. Yeah. He honestly, why he hasn't been on a podcast, I don't think he would ever want to do it. I've interviewed him. Oh, you for have? For print, though. I've never had him on the podcast. I, I've sat down with him, yeah. I just think on a on a podcast he would be so funny i he's a great guy and just the depth of knowledge oh and God. experience and that back room is where like leo and scorsese like hack out their their roles and stuff I mean, yeah it's like I a mean, favor of those two individuals he he is and he but he's he's a great guy and he's been a big supporter of what i nice. do and, that's cool and so cool. like i like to go down and see him and great food and, and food emilio's palato is excellent absolutely it's Son really anthony good. running the kitchen i mean yep. his, you know dad oversees everything but uh you know, uh, we do that, but generally when we go out, we go out for Chinese food. We go out for, for different regional Chinese food. It's cool. harder now living in Jersey City as than it was when we lived in Queens, of course, because you could shoot up to Flushing or yeah. Elmhurst or any number of places. But, you know, we mostly stick to Manhattan now just because of travel times and time constraints. But, you know, I mean, that's to me always one of the most exciting things about dining in New York is that— there's so much of this available and there's always more coming. It's I like know. there's so much to discover, so much to learn. And for me to go out and eat food that I can't make myself, that's what I want to do. And it's, But it's really got to impress you too. Because Absolutely. Because you make a lot of food yourself. Now, back to Brooks. I know there was a period where you were working out of his, his second kitchen. You were making focaccias and just hanging out, right? Well, I just, you know, I think there was a period of uh, underemployment in my life, yeah. uh, unemployment to underemployment when I was living in New York and trying to kind of figure out what it was I was going to do and how I was going to do it and everything else. And Brooks was a good friend, you know, and uh, supporter of what I did. And and I did a lot of pop-ups at Superiority Burger. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, you know, I hung around a lot. Like it was, it was a great place to be, you know, you know, all 175 square feet, how they could <laughs> uh, fit another you know, body in the room, especially yeah. one like mine that's kind of large and awkward. It's like, but I, you know, spent a lot of time there, worked on stuff with those guys, yeah. helped them develop their focaccia recipe, which they do a phenomenal job it's with. It's phenomenal. I, and I love that the new restaurant has that actually on the sign. Absolutely. It's so, it's such a good product. I mean, it's an excellent product. I yeah. mean, they, they really kill it and they've, 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 you know, it's just, you know, I, I, Incredibly consistent, just a beautiful, beautiful product. Let me ask you, what's the scene check at Superiority Burger? What, what, what are you liking on the menu? What's, what's the vibe like inside? I mean, this is truly like the third time I've talked about it with three different guests, and I'm going to talk about it with more until I go myself. But uh, that's, that's very well. You're going to have to go yourself. I, will, I, will. I mean, I would say that what I like, I mean, like the food's great, but the most exciting thing, because this is the newest thing, uh, uh, is the room. Like the room itself feels so good, and it feels so good with a lot of people in there having a great time. And it's just, it's a lively, fun space. It's, you know, service is Amazing. Pretty smooth. I mean, speaking of pavement, you got Mark Eyeball like slinging drinks. You've got like, you know, great photos on the wall of each corner of the space. Right. I mean, it's a great room, and it it it's really really fun, and it feels like the natural evolution of what Superiority yeah. Burger should be. I mean, I think that the thing that I think actually one of the things about the original Superiority Burger that was always remarkable 
was the level of hospitality and service they were able to provide mm-hmm. in a six-seat restaurant with a takeout-only format, you know, which is Yeah, there'd be crazy. like a boat that lands on your plate. I mean, for anyone, like, Brooks would always give you something special, no matter if he knew you or not. You just happened a lot there. Right. Great hospitality. Just taking, taking care of, of details, paying attention to those details, taking care of people who come in and making sure that people are having a good time and yep. getting what they need. And, and, I mean, they've always been very good at that. And so now to kind of see that unfold in a, you know, I don't know what is a seventy seat restaurant yeah, or something like that. What's it's, the order? It's incredible. What's the big order? Well, I mean, I think the order is uh, like I said, the focaccia. I like the collard green sandwich on focaccia. Uh, also, the yuba verde. You know, I think you get one or both of those. Uh, lentil soup. Uh, yeah, I've heard that lentil soup sneak into convo a little bit, which is like clearly not a meme-worthy dish in general. No, but I'd say, I mean, you know, <laughs> how, how do you go wrong with lentil soup? Everybody eats lentil Everyone soup. Everyone eats it when it's good and when it's, it's like monster ball soup. Like when it's good, it's good. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, lentil soup, I would say get a couple of salads and then pick a few desserts. You probably don't want to have just one. The desserts are fantastic. Yeah. and Herdy's okay with that. Yeah. Dessert game. Exactly. Okay, let me close by asking you, if you could have a restaurant name a menu item after you, what would that be? And what would the style of the restaurant be? Well, I would really hope that that never would happen. Why? Uh, actually. I it mean, so- certainly is going to happen. No, I think that that is, uh, that is uh, you know, that, that, that's like, that would just feel very strange to me. I don't think I would ever be able to go to that restaurant again. <laughs> but what, let's say in the hypothetical world. Uh, I would say that, you know, if they were going to do it, I would hope that it would be something that's made with stale bread and beans. Oh. You know, because that's yeah. like, to me, that's very much the, the, at the heart of what I do and who I am as a person. It's just these simple, simple, humble things that are incredibly satisfying, that are incredibly, I mean, maybe a little drab to look at, you know, but, uh. Like those are my favorite recipes in the book, uh, all of the the dishes with cooked bread. You know, uh, I, I think it's something that's kind of not in most people's repertoire. Uh, it's something we like to serve at the shop a lot when we can. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very, you know, down-to-earth, humble, but very kind of satisfying and fulfilling kind of dish. What's it called? What's the name of the dish? Penicotto. Penicotto. The Beans Manifesto in the book, too, I, I forgot to mention, is just amazing. The Like, the length and time you've put into, like, actually writing about cooking beans. In a book called How to Eat Bread, it's, there's a lot of beans content in there. I love beans. I mean, that's, that's a funny thing. Actually, Brooks, when his cookbook came out, the Superiority Burger cookbook, yeah. not, not the fancy dessert, but the Superiority Burger cookbook, he had an event scheduled where he was supposed to talk at, uh, about the book at the Museum of Food and Drink. Uh, there in Brooklyn, and instead he invited me and one of the guys who now owns Yellow Rose, who used to work for him, Dave Rizzo, to host a panel discussion on beans. Uh, and so we wow. we did host a panel discussion on beans for over an hour. Uh, it was, and we made beans and shared it's beans just, with everybody. I wish I was there. Those are three extremely great, cool chefs in New York. Yeah, it was a f- really fun event. But I mean, but beans have always been. Uh, you know, to me, I like. I think beans and bread are, are, are. You know, it's one of the most beautiful things you could ever eat. Oh yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of people in the world who that is pretty much what they eat. That's the only thing yeah. they eat. And like a panel discussion about beans can certainly get long winded. 
Yeah, could, I want, uh, that's had good. to do I it. Had to do it. Couldn't had resist. To, had ah. to kick on it. Rick Easton, thank you so much for joining the Taste Podcast. Absolutely. Great pleasure to be here. Hey, guys, I'm here with Shalia, Eliza, and Pat. What's up, guys? Sandwich, sandwich. Ready oh, to fight. Ready to fight. We're, so I'm, we're back. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to eat. You're ready to eat. Yeah, I know. It's late in the day, and we, we're just going to do content without food. Uh, food content without food. Now, we're here to draft again, and we had a great time drafting farmer's market produce. I felt that that was a, a successful draft, and we want to come back with another draft. But right now, the idea is is sandwiches so excited so i want to open with a little bit of like like q a because i think there's definitely going to be some debate about what uh what is a sandwich what isn't a sandwich um so participants guys any questions i want to say off the bat i'm already broken hearted that off the mic i was told i can't use hot dogs i know why not because it's one bun. Why not? Yes. Okay. I think it's because it's one bun. It's a so, it's a solid bun. As in a taco is not a sandwich either. Oh, and you're going to have an issue with some of my choices, let me okay. tell you. Okay, open face. Okay, so <laughs> like let's, man, we're getting into Isn't it. Isn't right? a hot dog just an open face sandwich? I feel like an open face sandwich could potentially be a closed face sandwich too, in most cases. A hot dog could get pretty closed if you really want it. You know, I mean, you could you could pull that bun pretty tight. You could definitely close it, but it's not closed on, on top and bottom. It's going to have an opening on the roof. If we don't move past this now, we're never going to. Yeah, I'm, this is not great content. I have um, a second clarifying question, which is, are we doing specific sandwiches or are they general sandwiches? Okay, great question. And I, when I wrote the email to you guys, I thought I had clarified that, but I, maybe I didn't. <laughs> I'm not, that was absolutely not passive aggressive. It was no, actually, maybe I didn't read the email, was, right? Or it was quarter passive aggressive. Okay, so here's the deal. Definitely thinking general sandwiches, but if there is an iconic sandwich that is a proper noun, meaning it was part of um, a campaign, a fast food campaign, so to speak, that could work. I don't think we go into like regional niche fast food items. I feel that that will definitely skew a little too esoteric. Let's just get into it. And um, if if somebody feels strongly that there is uh, the, the selection is not a sandwich, just say it right away. So that we're going to draft an order. It's going to be Shalia, Eliza, Pat, myself. It's a snake draft, so I will pick fifth, and we'll go back to Pat for six. Shalia, you are on the clock. Do you have a selection for the first pick in the 2023 sandwich draft? Oh, boy. Um. All right. So I already told Pat this yesterday. I am coming here with an agenda, and that agenda is to talk about my favorite Italian pork store in all of New York City. They are called Ceriso. They're in Astoria, and they are just incredible. They make fresh mozzarella that's like with flaky salt on the top. And the reason I am bringing them up is I love their meatball uh, <gasps> sub. Can I go sub? Meatball sub. Absolutely off the board. Number one pick. All right. Um. Yeah, it's fantastic. Like, they got famous because I guess when Robert De Niro was shooting a Bronx Tale, he would like have their food brought to set. And so now it's become this like neighborhood mm. institution and like you order their meatballs, you order their meatball subs, they give you like fresh mozz while you're in there. Oh, and nice like, little snack. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're fantastic. All right. Meatball subs is off the off the board. Eliza, you're a pick too. Okay. Um, I'm going to do Bon Me as my... Ah! Sorry. Absolutely my number one. Sorry. I, so I just, good. I, sorry. And just the context for me in the sandwich draft as a whole is that I am not a huge meat eater and I really don't like 
deli meat that much in general. So this is one of the few like meaty sandwiches that I'd really ride or die for. And I think a banh mi is just perfect. So let's break it down. It truly was my number one pick. So you took my number oh, one pick. Oh, no. No, okay. it really was my number one pick. That is my favorite sandwich is the banh mi. Oh, I feel bad. No, no. There's, this is this is a draft. There's no feeling bad. Okay, great. I feel great. No, I, I let's just like break it down though. What makes a great banh mi? Do you have a, do you have a blend? I have a kind of my own thought on a blend. No, I don't really have a strong thought on a blend per se. I think it's just about having that nice balance of acidity and brightness from the pickly things and the herbs and then like the pate and everything else that's going on. And I think that the bread is really important, but I would love to know what your platonic ideal banh mi is so I can steal that order. Definitely. I mean, the real consistent or the constants um, is marinated pork and pate. So like those kind of working together. Um, But you've then got like the the pickled, like you've got a sweet Julian cucumber tip typically and pickled daikon and carrots like usually a combination of the two you can sometimes see just carrots yeah when i was interviewing uh andrea Nguyen on the podcast she was saying pickled daikon is her must-have in a banh mi because it has that funk 100 percent. i think you need the funk i think too much carrot is too sweet and then you've got cilantro culantro um you've got it's coriander you can call it many different things it is the absolute essential herb i think for a banh mi for me Okay, that's my pick. And then you got jalapenos too. So like, like let's let's and the bread is important. So important. It's all important. It's all important. Bread is always important, but for the bami. So the number two pick is bami. I like that. Pat, you're up. All right. So right off the bat, Shalee, you got my meatball sub off the board. I'm glad though it is the number one pick. It deserves that spot. So with that off the table, I am going with a roast beef hero. And I'm specifically calling out from my old, from the old neighborhood from Bensonhurst. I'm going to call out John's Deli on Stillwell Avenue, <laughs> right next to the garage clothing store. So you could get an oversized suit, or you could get a roast beef hero. So this Don't thing limit is, yourself. You could have both. You can oh, have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's that's a big day. I'm literally saving this to my Google Map right now. <laughs> so uh, it is their their classic sandwich is a hero roast beef melted mozzarella. It's uh, their gravy. It's great, wrapped up in a in a paper plate and then wrapped up in tin foil, and that is you know if I had the number one pick, I probably would have picked this. This is an incredible sandwich. What's so gravy is the condiment? It's it's Sunday gravy. Yes. So it's like sauce. It's a no, so- no, 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 uh, not Italian gravy. Actual like roast beef. Oh, gravy, like sorry, I was I was kind of like thinking, wow, we no, no. So here? this is not a this is not a Parmesan sandwich. No, no this is good. a roast beef with, but with traditional gravy. gravy yeah whoa see i was thinking it'd be more like in the italian like vinegar and, and oil no no this is this is a classic roast beef roast a, beef but like a lot of roast beef on italian bread yep. so, uh, as a hero oh, man. not open-faced it's it's closed it's wrapped up you could eat it on the street so go down to stillwell avenue and tell them Pat sent you. All right. Well, I have the fourth and the fifth pick. So I'm in that little pocket. So I'm going to go one, two. Number one is PB&J. Mm. Number one. I, I feel like outside of the banh mi, I was going to say PB&J. To, to me, this is my most uh, consumed sandwich. What's your jelly? Right. So that's the question. Well, first, let's talk about the bread. The bread has to be soft. There's no like crunchy peanut butter and jelly. Some people think that, that that's actually a thing. Or like an English muffin. No. Eh. Um, creamy peanut butter, not crunchy. I think the Wegmans brand peanut butter is pretty good. And for condiment, it's definitely raspberry. No? No. I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. I'm a, I love like an apricot jelly or wow, like, like even it. an apple jelly. 
And are you cutting it diagonally? <laughs> yes, I am. Good. But see, I also love the idea of just making it for myself and not packaging it into like a container and then taking it somewhere, but like making it and then not cutting it and being like, yo, I'm going to fucking eat this like whole. That's actually terrifying to me. <laughs> You're just chomping the whole piece of bread. You're not cutting it? No. Extremely chaotic energy. It's <laughs> chaos, but it's the best way. Matt, this I, is easily the most unsettling thing I've ever learned about you. Eating a full sandwich, yeah. no cut. I, I don't cut my PB&Js. Guys. Pat. What are we doing? Got my back. Yeah. My guy. But think about how pleasing it is to eat the little corner of the diagonal sandwich. You don't get that if you're just chomping into it. The ratio of like crust to filling is different. Me and Matt don't got that kind of time. I like we got a chomp. I like fighting for that perfect pocket, and maybe it's the third bite. But when you get that perfect third bite, it's perfect. Yeah, just put it in a paper plate and roll it up in tinfoil and eat it on the street, <laughs> <laughs> like a euro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the fifth pick, I'm, I'm I'm like definitely. I was thinking about this, and I was like, I I have this this sandwich of mine. I think about it a lot. I, I order it a lot. It's from a restaurant, and that restaurant is McDonald's, and the sandwich is the Egg McMuffin. Ooh, that's all right. All right. To me, the Egg McMuffin, I do not really tend to go to McDonald's outside of breakfast. It's the only time I really go there, except in March during um, Shamrock Shake season. But to me, the Egg McMuffin is perfect. The egg is always cooked perfectly, and I love ham, and I just think that I like an English muffin in this context. It's so good. You're making me want to revisit my take on uh, Egg McMuffins right now. Haven't thought about them in years, but I feel like maybe I get one tomorrow. I don't know. They have to be from McDonald's, though. They like that you can't get like the frozen versions. Oh, and, no. You know what I mean? Or even doing it yourself isn't as fun. So I uh, I have a friend's mom who, since college, it was college friends. Uh, every year we end up going to this friend's house, his his childhood house on Long Island, and his mom the day after Christmas will make us uh, egg McMuffin sandwiches. That is. That Such is, a that, gift that were that were deemed egg McMommies, <laughs> and it is a tradition that last has lasted to this day. That we still will go the day after Christmas, and his mom will make egg McMommy sandwiches for a group that has gotten up as high as thirty people in some years. Wow, it's, it's gotten lower now, but Boxing Day McMuffins. Yeah, yeah. icon status, honestly. Absolutely. All right, Pat, you're up. All right, so I am going. Uh, listen. Calling out the big names here. I'm going to Katz's and I'm getting the corned beef room. <gasps> no. Oh, no. I'm doing it. Oh, you didn't no. Take... You sent the entire room into disarray. No, but you didn't take the right choice. Well, are you, I'm guessing someone might be thinking it's pastrami, but <laughs> I am I am going Thinking? corned beef. I I love it. I love it. This is go, it. go, King. It's... I mean, it's just uh, I, it's, it's just my go-to when I go to Katz's. Love the Russian dressing. The, the the tangy sour cream. Matt is in disbelief. But you know what? This is this is an opportunity for you because the pastrami <laughs> is still on the board. I'm a little flabbergasted that you would go with corned beef over pastrami. I think pastrami is at Katz's is truly one of the best restaurant dishes in the world. Absolutely perfect. I mean, it's great. But I'm a corned beef guy. No, I respect it. I respect the choice. I just don't 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 agree with it. I, I you know what's great is we're gonna possibly get to go to Katz's twice in this episode. Possibly. I I mean, okay, we'll see. It's not my. F- okay. Anyways, Eliza, you're up. My draft pick is gonna be. It was gonna be Reuben. I'm gonna say grilled cheese. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> I love wow. a grilled cheese. You took it. 
Oof. I mean, it's so funny to me that every one of these sandwiches, I think, is in our list. I I feel like for the fruit draft, there was basically zero unity at all. I mean, sandwiches are personal and there's yeah. maybe not a lot of good sandwiches out there, I guess. I don't have, I mean, there's a lot of good sandwiches. I don't have a lot to say about a grilled cheese because everyone's had one and we all know how good they are. My perfect grilled cheese, I would say, is like a... Uh, Swiss, like, Gruyere kind of stretchy white cheese blend on, like, um, honestly, rye, which is maybe controversial. I kind of like the dark light combination. And if I'm making them at home, I'll add kimchi or scallions or other things. But uh, just a classic normal grilled cheese is still really good. I don't like cheddar. I don't like American cheese. That's my caveat. Let's go around and and get everyone's grilled cheese. Shalia, you're up. I won't get into it because this is, I guess, no longer my pick. But I do. The thing I really love about grilled cheese is it's like it has this like homey, like nostalgic feel, but like you can still like elevate it. Um, And that said, like my favorite is like uh, like I love like either a goat cheese arugula situation or like an apple bacon brie. Wow. I think that's such a that's such a good combination It is like so far from what I'm thinking myself. Pat, what's your grilled cheese? I mean, my grilled cheese is just more cheese than <laughs> than you would normally think to put on there. I'm a I'm a could we do three slices on there? Let's do three slices. Could we get up to four? I don't know, maybe. We'll see, but that's, you know, whatever the cheese is, just give me an extra slice of it. Do you ever put it on the uh, on the outside of the bread so that you get like a little uh Vulcan style like crispy cheese? Yeah, like this the 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 frico? Yeah, the little twisted the 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 cheese crust. Yeah, you can do a whole, like, extra thing of cheese on the bread side, you know? Yeah. Well, first, I have to shout out the grilled cheese we had in Koreatown, which was um, on a Hawaiian roll. It was brie and green apple and kimchi with a gojujang mayo smashed and then gone, gone on both sides. I love that. But my grilled cheese is like childhood grilled cheese. It's three slices of craft on white bread with mayonnaise on the outside. And like clarified or or just crazy butter in the pan and just like smashing it like or not smashing it, but like tapping it down mm. and just making it that stretchy, like food styly one. You just reminded me of another, of another sandwich when you said smashing Ooh. it down. So I'm oh. excited. <laughs> but I think it's Shalia's turn. turn. You're up. All right. So I think I'm going to move to. Does this count as a sandwich? Like a leftover sandwich. So I feel like the most common example of this is like the classic like Thanksgiving sandwich. But I argue you can do this all year. Like, for example, I went to Pio Pio for dinner like a couple weeks ago and like ordered entirely too much chicken. Like I don't need a half a roast chicken. I'm one person. Um, And then like had like leftover like maduros and like the green sauce and like had like fresh bread at home and just ate that for two days. And it was just the most delightful thing. Oh. Just like make your leftovers new. Love that idea. It's like a construct. All right. And Shalia, via snake draft rules, you have a double pick. I'm going to go ice cream sandwich. I'm getting real kooky with my sandwiches. I'm sorry, Pad. No, that's He's great. He's like raised I, his no, fist I'm, I, into That was the a, air. a happy raising my fist because I hadn't <laughs> thought of that, but that's such a, it's such a inspired pick. It's yeah. definitely an inspired pick. I just fell in love. Please continue. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Specifically, I was like, I hosted an Oscars party once and this might be common knowledge to everyone else, but I'm easily impressed. A friend of mine brought like a bunch of pints of ice cream and then was just like taking like a butcher knife to them and slicing them and then had like 
fresh baked cookies. So good. So now I do this. My favorite is like the Van Leeuwen's like Earl Grey tea ice cream between like two lemon cookies. And it's just my favorite thing in the entire world. Oh, man. Delightful. What a what a fun way to like a great party favor. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing the hot knife trick to cut the ice cream? No, but I should. This is the trick, yeah. Okay, okay. Hot water on a knife, it'll just glide right through. Mm. That's so smart. Yeah. Is it my turn? All right. It is your turn. Okay, I'm looking at my list because Matt just kind of shook everything up for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say Cubano as my next one. When you oh, said press it down on the grilled cheese. That was so my pick. I you, <laughs> you took Bonmi and Cubano. They're sitting next to each other on my list, on my paper. Those. And you gave me the idea, but I do really like them. And I was in Miami and I had a bunch of good ones. Oh. And also I had a really good one right by uh, our offices. There's a place in Times Soapies. Square. Soapies. No, a different one. Oh. But that one's good too. It's called Margone and they do mm-hmm. Cubanos. We should all go sometime. Margone is good. Uh, yeah, love one. What makes it, so let's break down the components in your, in your, like what kind of cheese is typically on a Cubano for you? Oh, I mean, it's whatever they normally are having, right? right. I feel like it's like a, a white cheese, like Swiss kind of Swiss vibe. Swiss is what I think of. Yeah. Usually, at least in New York, I've never been to Miami, so I don't know that style. But, um, and then it's like pork. Yeah. And, you know, a little bit of like pickle vibe. Yeah. And I think to me, the fact that you have this bread that's being pressed down, so it's like a cracker when you first yeah. break through it, and then it's fluffy. Um, it's just so good. And I feel like I said I don't really like meat, and then all of my sandwiches have been meat sandwiches <laughs> because I... I have niche ones that I don't think fit for this, but a Cubano is just so good. It's you, you absolutely have stolen two of my picks, so thank you very much. Great minds. All right, so I'm next, and I'm going to go back to the hero genre, and I'm going to go with a sausage and pepper hero sandwich. Man. So no, no cheese. No, no, the, again, this is not Parmesan. This is just sausage and pepper, and this is a great to, you know, Shalee was talking about leftovers. There's a great use of leftover. You make sausage and peppers, and the next day you got sausage and pepper sandwich for lunch. I love that. So there's questions here. Is Are we thinking more of the Polish side, or are we thinking more of the Italian side? I mean, I'm thinking Italian side. All right, all right. Because I feel in Chicago, they've got, like, Polish style See, sausage I, and peppers going on. No, I'm thinking, like, you're, you've, like, sliced up the sausage, so it's little pieces of sausage yeah. in there. Pat, I have a question for you. I know yes. we're not going niche, but have you been to Rocco's? How do you feel about it? Um, I'm not sure if so, I have. You know the Home Depot in Astoria, and they have that little shack. Like it's like outside oh, the Home yes, Depot. Yes, like you're walking Rocco's. out, and they yes, have the. I've, yes, I have been there. What yeah. are your thoughts about their sausage and? It was good. Rank? Yeah. Okay. No, that was really good. Yeah, and and Home Depot had the light bulbs I was looking for. Yeah. So it was it was a, a great. <laughs> it's a afternoon. Tiffer, It's great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that was I'm Going Sausage and Pepper. So next up, with two picks to close out his draft, it's Matt. All right. I got two picks to close. I can't believe I've gone this far. We've gone this far. And I'm just going to take tuna salad right now. I'm taking it right now, but I'm taking it with dill. Tuna salad with dill. That's the only way I like tuna salad. Okay, I'm scared to speak because I realize what my favorite sandwich is that I haven't said, and I'm waiting for you to see if it's going to be the next one. I have oh, no problem with dill. Okay. I, I'm down for I dill. Because I saw your face. I was like, we, like no, I had a moment of realization where I was like, I'm an idiot. How have I not said this sandwich? So tuna and rye is my thing. Uh, definitely needs like a, a firmer bread. I don't like a, a soft tuna salad, though my mom back in the day would always make it on like soft bread. And, and you know, it, it's nice, but I feel like, or even toast. 
needs to be toasted. Um, caveat, I hate a tuna melt. I think they're really bad, but that's just me. What's in your perfect tuna salad? Definitely a lot of mayonnaise, pickles, lots of dill, as mentioned, a little bit of celery, celery salt, um, a little bit of Dijon mustard, and um, that's it. Yeah. And it has to be broken down and definitely whipped up. Like, I like New York City deli style. Now, growing up in the Midwest, I never really had that. Like, that whipped up, super mayonnaise style of, of, of uh, tuna salad. It was always a little bit, like, flakier in my household. Um, probably healthier because it's, like, the 90s. And, yeah, read the 90s. Yeah, keep it simple. I love that. It sounds great. Controversial, but my last pick is the avocado toast. Open face. I wasn't sure if that counted. It counts. Okay. And I'm calling right. it. I'm calling it because I think, obviously, Eliza, your face. <laughs> You're just ready to jump in. I'm going to burst. <laughs> All right. Please continue. Well. It's I, not even my turn. <laughs> I definitely was part of the, like, communal shade towards avo toast and that whole meme. But I was secretly, along the way, enjoying an avocado toast at many restaurants that I would go to. And I would often make them at home. And... Yes, it's an import from Australia. And yes, um, avocados have been around forever, so likely there was avocado toast in Mexico well before there were avocado toast in in, uh, in Australia, and we've written about that on Taste. But I just love it so much. Do you put anything on the avocado? Um, yes. I like putting this. So I have two ways to think of it. I like putting something like a, like, an, like a spice mix so even like like even like a duca or zatar, I've done that before. I like I like a kind of a, a, a like a more flavorful spice blend. Um, I've also put some astringent chili on it in the past. It needs some to cut through the 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 avocado, so chili crisp or fried garlic. I could get into that. Oh yeah, I could get into that. I've been doing furikake with red yeah. pepper lately. Furikake is great too. So all right, so I'm go- I'm up next and. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any argument whether this is a sandwich or not, but I'm going to say falafel, a falafel sandwich, which on the menus, it says falafel plate or falafel sandwich. So the word sandwich a, is built in there. A little bit of a stretch. But it's in a, it's in a pita. It's in a pita, if, yeah. If he gets this one, I get like carte blanche on my next one. So there's that much pushback on a, on a menu ta- item that says ta- sandwich. It's in the taco hot dog realm. It's in the hot dog realm, but not the taco realm yeah. because it's a pocket of something. Oh, yeah. it closes. It's it just, closes. Yeah. I mean, you could see what's inside, but it's, it's, I, I, I think, you know, as a producer here, I think I'm going to, I'm going to put the stamp of sandwich. I respect on this. it. I respect it, Pat. And, and you, you definitely have final say. Um, there you go. And listen, I love a falafel. I don't, it's not, it's the type of sandwich I never, make at home on like a sausage and pepper or something like that. It's only, it's a treat going somewhere, getting some falafel, walking through the streets in New York City with the the falafel drip that you're avoiding as you walk, which is my favorite part. I love when a sandwich gives you like an activity to do, which is to avoid the drip out. Avoid the drip is key. Yeah. Is it Taim? Is it Mamoons? Do you have a place? I mean, I went to NYU years ago, so I'm always going to be a, a Mamoons guy. Yeah. Oh, I so. love that. God, I miss living within walking distance of Mamoons. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one. That's my final pick is the falafel sandwich. Respect it. Do you like hummus on it? Um, Not as, not especially. Prina? Yeah. Do you like tahini on it? I like tahini, yeah. All right. What about pickles? Um, I'm not asking for extra pickles. Enough. All right. Respect, respect. And you're doing like the full like salad or? Oh, or yeah, yeah, like yeah. Big salad, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yum. Yum. So, so there good. we go. So. 
I go falafel. And Eliza, you are up with your final pick. Okay, I'm sorry for making a scene, but this is actually my favorite sandwich, BLT. Oh, oh my it. God. How did we get this far without I a BLT? Know. I, so that's what, I, yeah. that's what I realized. And I was dancing around it. I was saying all of these other pork sandwiches, right. but BLT... God tier sandwich. The reason why I keep bacon, I, I do not cook meat at home except I make BLTs at yeah. home and I keep bacon year round, not year round. In the summer, I always have bacon because yeah. I'm always making BLTs. Yeah, it's definitely so a summer summer market. Are you going full full heat bacon or are you going like turkey bacon? Uh, no, pork bacon, yeah. turkey bacon. If I'm cooking for some of my friends that don't eat pork, but just you know. Maybe I'll grate some garlic into my mayo if I'm being fancy. Maybe not. Lots of good lettuce. I feel like also I buy a lot of lettuce in the summer and it goes bad fast. So the BLT is kind of helping everyone along. Good tomatoes. I would do a tomato sandwich without the bacon, but a BLT to me is just the perfect food. I feel BLTs for me is like, you know, August 15th through September 7th. That's like truly when I make them. When the tomatoes are really good. Yeah, in New York at least, that's when they are. Yeah, yeah I think I do wait for them. I get a little impatient after <laughs> a certain point in the summer, but also they're a very nostalgic food for me. Growing up, bacon was like the only pork my family would cook in the home. I don't know why that was the exception, but BLTs are just like pure summer nostalgia. Love that. All right, so Shalia, you've got the final pick, and you know after the whole falafel debacle, I think you, you're you're going to have a wide range on what a sandwich could be. I just think if we've set the precedent that a pocket is a sandwich, I'm going lobster roll. Like, I'm doing it. I mean, I I, I can't be the one to argue against this because I'm the uh, falafel guy. I, I think it's it's absolutely a fair argument. We've, we've this, this is digressed. This is devolved. We're at the final <laughs> chapter. We're at the final round. What's the mystique for you? I mean, like, I can also be picky technically about a lobster roll like I definitely love like a more mayo base than a butter base although I'll eat like hand me a lobster roll I'll eat any of it but for me I think it's like really environmental in the same way that you were talking about like bacon is the way that I feel about lobster um like it just reminds me of summer reminds me of vacation Mm -hmm. uh my partner's family lives on Cape Cod my brother lives like out on like Block Island Sound like just like give me a lobster roll like on a deck somewhere with like a light beer in the summer and it's like oh man i am in my best place and this is like new england style yes buns. so like yes. split split top bun yes yes yeah. yes has to be thank you thank yeah you. i think split top and then like definitely a nice butter like like clarified butter on the on the bun Oh, on the bun. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, but you do, ma- like, you like a mayonnaise-based one. I prefer, roll. but I also will take, like, a, like, dredged butter yeah. lobster roll as well. So, yeah, that's the, that's really the difference. It's, like, the the, the butter base or the mayonnaise base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you prefer mayonnaise. Both, yeah, they're both fantastic. They're both good. I'm just on the Wikipedia for a sandwich looking up the definition right now. I don't know oh. if it's relevant at this stage. It's in a the little game. late in the game, Eliza, yeah. but I appreciate your your kind of sticking with the rules. Yeah, I mean, it's very vague. I think that whatever we want can be a sandwich. And I think a lobster roll is like the perfect one to end on. I have to say I've been to some stupid media events over the years, just working media, and I think the greatest media event to my to my life was when I went to an event and it was all you could eat lobster rolls. I, oh, I would have hurt myself. It, I, it, <laughs> I, I did. I, I mean, I, I hurt myself because like Luke's was set up and they were like, it was basically just like one of those like trucks and you could just like keep going up to like the truck. Which, How many times did you go back? I mean, if I'm going to say four, what do you think? I buy that. Oh, yeah, I mean, that seems right. That's Lobster respect- rolls are so expensive. That's also. respectable. That's what I'm saying. Like they're that that's like almost a hundred bucks, man. If you, had, if you had three figures worth of lobster rolls, <laughs> man, 
Shall I just give us a quick reta- a recap of what our teams are? I love it. Yeah. So yeah. Shalia's sandwich team is meatball sub, and then it's leftover sandwich, which I love, then ice cream sandwich, and then lobster roll. So Shalia, I, I think most creative yeah. team, I yeah. think, is going to end up going to Shalia. Yeah, role. you're like the, the wild card maverick. No, no really, really good, good stuff there. So then Eliza's sandwich team is the Bon Me. And the grilled cheese, the mm. Cubano, and the BLT. Wow. A real classic. classic. Real yeah. classic. Really like my list, basically, that you stole. <laughs> look, I didn't choose draft. to go first. It's the luck of Two the draft. Two or four were on my list for the top four. All right. And then uh, Team Pat is the roast beef sandwich from John's Deli, corned beef Reuben, sausage and pepper hero, and the falafel sandwich. Nice. Very and New York-like. Exactly. I was about to say. Yeah. So I was going to say that. And then. You, li- you live your truth right there. Oh, Pat. listen, you stay in one place forever, you're going to get to like their Wait, sandwiches. And aside before we get to the have you been to Pat's in Philadelphia? Have I been to the cheesesteak? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have been. I was wondering. I, 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 I love cheesesteaks. I love yeah. that. I also love that cheesesteaks are not in our draft. I'm just like very proud oh, of yeah, us. No I one, thought about it. I'm very yeah. proud. Yeah. Well, so, listen, we're, taste is based in New York, so. So proud. Um, all right. And then the final team is Team Matt is PB&J, Egg McMuffin, tuna salad with dill. I had that noted. And then avocado toast. Kind Man. of like the all-American one. I know. It's, it feels a little modern. Yeah. It's it's I, I it's still, the, mid, the Midwestern sandwich guy. I feel like I need a Cubano on there, and it's going to be feel right. You want to trade me? Yeah, I do. We can do some trading can off we trade? Mike. So... Okay, so on mic, yeah. So Cubano, what is it going to take? I'll trade you PB and J. Uh uh-uh, uh, that's still my number one. I'll trade you tuna salad. I'll take. I'll. I'll definitely give you that trade. Okay. Appreciate. I, it. I have a lot of pork going on. Thanks, so I'll, thanks I'll a lot. You're welcome. I, I feel. I feel like it's complete now. All right. Well, we've got it. It's got to go through the commissioner's office first before okay. the trades are approved. <laughs> so we'll we'll let listeners know in a future episode if yep. the trade went through. Okay. But yeah, that's our draft. Great. I think. I think listeners should. Vote on which sandwich team yeah. Uh, yeah. they want to. They want to. Yeah, if you made it this far, definitely write in yeah. hello at tastecooking.com, dot H E L O at taste cooking. Who won out of the four of us? Who won? Um, who whose will, team do you want to eat the most? We will say your name, and we will give us your your. We will say your pick on a future episode. All right. I gotta go eat a sandwich. Yeah. Thanks yeah, me for drafting, too. guys. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 